0: the beyond the studio podcast and you're listening to season three beyond the studio east coast edition i'm amanda adams and i'm nicole muller and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist here we'll have honest conversations with artists makers and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Since this podcast is hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language. So if there are sensitive ears around you, be sure to pop in some headphones before you listen. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we are interviewing Haley Powers Thornton-Kennedy, a Baltimore-based artist who is an illustrator, a designer, and an educator. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, so grateful. I first saw your thesis show right as it was coming down, so it was the lucky um, grocery and Oh yeah. Lucky news, in
1: grocery. Lucky uh, news yeah. and grocery. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was my, it's okay. It was fine. That was like my, my MFA thesis that I did, I guess I, in 2018. So yeah, 2018. I saw it yeah.
0: I saw it when I had gone with a friend to go see Heather Day do an artist talk who we also had on this podcast oh, cool. and I saw your booth mostly dismantled, but still there as I was leaving. And I was like, oh, I wish I could have seen this whole thing. This looks completely like I would be obsessed with it. And I started following your work from there. And then of course we met uh, officially doing a craft show together. And Mm -hmm. I've been really enjoying seeing your work develop uh, since then. For artists that are not familiar with your work, would you mind giving us a little background of your creative journey thus far, including like education or any uh, art related work and kind of how you became an artist?
1: Yeah, my journey is long and varied because I think that there's like right now a, a very intense misconception that uh, you have to be a fully fledged artist at like graduation of undergrad when you're only like, I don't know, how old are you? Like five? <laughs> I don't know, but like, tw- like 20, 22 years old, you know, but that was not my personal path. And I'm actually pretty grateful for it because it's made me into like the multidisciplinary artist that I am now just because by having a a weird path you try a bunch of different stuff and you kind of get really interested in, in different things and allow yourself that flexibility. So my journey started in undergrad like a lot of other art students And I went to a liberal arts college um, in which I double majored in environmental science and studio art because I didn't really know what I was doing (laughs) or what I wanted to do or or anything. Then when I graduated, I... (laughs) Faked that I knew how to use Photoshop and InDesign <laughs> and got a job. Then the it's recession relatable. hit. I know, right? <laughs> like, do you know? Are you are you proficient in in InDesign? I'm like, mm, yes, I am proficient in googling InDesign and letting you know exactly <laughs> exactly what Take I it saying, it. Right? And that was that was in 2008. And so um, from there, like. The recession hit and everyone got fired, including me. And I moved to Wisconsin where I ran a DIY music and art venue with some friends. Yeah. And I did sound and I did posters and oh, I <laughs> like so many random things just to try and, try and like make it, you know, did that for two years. And then I moved to New York City where I became the web designer for the Brooklyn Museum, actually. So a lot of that time in in Wisconsin was kind of like figuring out what my path was with art and design. And I I did a lot of illustration then, but I didn't really see it as like, I I couldn't really see myself as an artist because I, I got kind of bogged down in undergrad with it. I got a lot of negative feedback that I kind of held too close to the heart.
0: Yeah, and
1: then I—that's I, I, a totally unrelatable thing, right? No, like? no. <laughs> <laughs> what is that like? It's funny because I—I feel like a lot of people talk about the intense toxicity of like a lot of art institutions right now. I'm like, actually, it's in art programs throughout. <laughs> whether you're going to a liberal arts school, whether you're going to like possibly even like a larger state school, I wouldn't know. I, have, I don't have that experience, but also in in other you know arts focused spaces, there's a lot of this idea that you have to be really tough on your students to get the best out of them. And if they don't hack it, then they'll never make it in the art world. I'm like, that's kind of (laughs) bullshit. Cause I, I was definitely, I couldn't really hack it when I was 21, 22 and they told me I couldn't, and I didn't try again until I was 30. (laughs) So, you know, but yeah, and then so I was a, I was a designer in New York for a while, and uh, I ended up working for myself for a few years because I realized I didn't really, I don't really fit into pre-established spaces well. I get bored really fast. Freelanced, and then yeah, I was really unhappy one day. I was laying face down on the bed, and my partner then my now husband came and he's like what's what's going on and I was like I don't know I just want to draw all the time and I don't know like what that's like as like a job and I'm unhappy and I'm designing and I should be happy and he's like well it sounds like uh you should go back to school and I was like oh no I'm never going back to school they were mean to me there. <laughs> I'll never do it and um that I That I did. That I went and got my MFA and it was a really great decision. And again, I got my MFA, like I started my program the day I turned 30. And I was like, I feel like an old person here amongst a bunch of like 25 year olds. But I'm also really grateful that I did it later because I was a lot more, yeah, able to to focus and understand what it was that I needed in that time. That was a really long kind of like journey story, but hopefully... (laughs) Hopefully it was helpful. How can
0: we cut this down? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah,
1: right. Like, How do we, how do we get rid of like half of that?
0: <laughs> no, we always, I mean, one of the things I love so much about podcasting is the long form nature of the interview and being able yeah. to like really dig into how people got where they are and the experiences that led to the different decisions and how they kind of built their experience and careers. And like every everything we go through informs those decisions that we make.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. All of the
1: branching paths.
2: It is also interesting to me that I think in most cases or most artists that we've talked to have also had some some moment or some season or, you know, point in their life when they really weren't pursuing art or they thought that they We're going to do something different or, um, you know, it hasn't always been constant production or like they just started their career and it's been exponential since then. So I really appreciate hearing that because I think it's you're right. There is maybe this expectation if you're coming out of an art program, if you have, you know, art in your background, especially if you studied it in school, that that that's it. But I think it, it ends up being a lot more circuitous than that more often than not.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the ability to take a break sometimes feels like, you know, you're stagnating, but you're always growing. So it's, it's just, it's false to think that if you stop doing what you're doing, you can never do it again.
2: <laughs> yeah. I had a random question. I was wondering what your connection to Wisconsin was. Um, I was actually born in Waukesha. And so my, I have a lot of family in the Milwaukee area.
1: I went to school up in New Hampshire and it turns out that like I just made friends with tons of Wisconsin folk. I'm like, these are, these are some good people. (laughs) And so (laughs) right after college, when I got laid off my job, I was living in New York city and it was so expensive. And I had literally like $900 to my name. And I was like, I can either go home or I can go live somewhere cheap. And I had like two friends living in, uh, one friend living in Madison and one friend living in Milwaukee. And, th- and they're like, you know, what's cheap is Wisconsin. <laughs> and I was like, you know, what? I'm going to take my last like $900 and I'm going to go to Wisconsin and I'm going to go do this thing and see if I just completely sputter out and fail. Cause then I can, you know, take like whatever, like the $300 that's left and and fly home to San Diego where I, I'm from. And I was like, I just... I got to try one more thing before I go home. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, Wisconsin's cheap. That was it. And now my connection to Wisconsin is that my husband's from there. That's where I met uh, Andy, who's a fantastic partner. And he's a, he's the second half of lucky mud, which is like another venture that he and I do together. Um, we're, we're ceramicists together. So he's, he does pottery on the wheel and I paint on it and yeah, it was, it was a, little match made in Wisconsin. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. I'm always
0: very curious when couples are able to have a creative collaboration together aside from like a baby or something, which I know is also the case. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. But what's it like working with your partner as a business partner as well and like kind of creatively
1: collaborating in that way? Yeah, that was definitely an interesting thing because Andy didn't realize, we didn't realize that Andy was such a fantastic ceramicist until moving into Baltimore. We got here and we moved here for me, for my program. And so, you know, we were looking for things for Andy to like be creatively involved in. And I got him some classes at um, the Potter's Guild of Baltimore, which is rad. And uh, he came home with some stuff and I was like, this is like, R- really good. <laughs> Did you know you were good at this? I didn't know. I thought that this would just be an opportunity for community. And so our process in that was very much me taking at first, like, kind of a back seat and saying, like, you explore this creative endeavor. And, like, I would love to be involved in it in a way because I want to, like, I want to paint on the things that you make. But a lot of it was more so, like, giving him that space and then waiting for him to ask for me to, like, be involved in that space because it's primarily his. So I think that, like, you know, understanding those boundaries between yourself and your partner and who who holds what right in that kind of like dynamic has been really important. And we, we talk a lot about like, you know, like, do you want me touching like this piece or is this something that like you want to have a hand in or it has, it has to be very direct. And we work well when we like communicate directly. I, I don't do well if people are passive with me. Cause I'm just like, what do you want? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I'm confused. So yeah, it's fun because it's also very much like a fun business venture for us. We only do it when we have time. We only do it like as very much like a secondary or tertiary thing beyond our own personal like jobs, full-time jobs. So it's, we keep it very low stress, which also helps.
0: I think there's something to be said about having a creative outlet that is not stressful especially if your creativity is your job and oh, yeah. I think sometimes that can really suck the creativity away and it's like oh I'm doing all of my creative labor for someone else I need to have something for myself it's relaxing mm-hmm. that is like low pressure and really just about making something I enjoy with someone I enjoy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And also doing that in a, in a different medium than you're used to. I tell my students often, so I, I teach at Micah as well um, now, but I tell my students often that if it's, it's totally okay to, to try different things. People say like, you know, I'm, I'm really good at drawing. And so that's what I should be doing 24 21st I'm like, actually, like if you think that you're kind of crappy at embroidery, but you enjoy it, like go do that too, to get your hands moving in different ways and to like allow yourself to be less proficient at something is kind of a beautiful way of like yeah expressing that creativity <laughs> I do a lot of crafting I do like a I, I crochet I do a lot of like granny crafting like crocheting and like visible mending and stuff like that and like I tried quilting for the first time and I'm very much like not like quilting like you're supposed to where you plan everything quilting where like I take a whole bunch of like fabric I'm like what does this look like if I just make it all fit together (laughs) so yeah I, I definitely I think that some people worry about like presenting a very unified idea of who they are creatively I'm like it's you're allowed to try all the things you know yeah That's me, at least (laughs) That's what I think, at least.
0: No, this is all super relatable. I think we often set the standard for ourselves where whatever it is that we're best at, it's like we have to match that same level at everything else that we try. Mm -hmm. And it's like I may be incredible at painting, which I'm not. But, you know, maybe then I try to uphold every other thing I try to the level of, you know, painting that I may have years of experience in, which
1: I don't, yeah. but you know, if I did, it's also, it's why I love bowling. I'm so bad at bowling, but I love it because I'm like, I'm bad at this and I can accept that. And I can have a great time bowling because I'm not good at it. <laughs> Just no pressure whatsoever. Yeah. And then from internally or externally, I'm like, yep, not good at it. Let's go bowling. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I wish more people just embraced being really bad at things, because <laughs> I think there's this pressure, too, especially when, you know, you've kind of professionalized something that is a passion or that maybe started out as a hobby. And I think for a lot of us that were creative when we were younger or just, you know, loved to, to draw or whatever that, you know, ended up pursuing a career in the arts, then um, at a certain point there is this expectation, right? Especially if you're if your living is tied to your creative output in some way that, um, you know, you, you are maintaining a certain level. So I think it's it's important to hear that, you know, you need to create that space to fail and to explore and experiment, you know, at every stage um, and just continuing to, to do that. Um, and also, I mean, not that every, you know, thing has to evolve into something that's more than a hobby because it's, it's really important to keep those things as is too, but, um, you know, I just think if you hadn't gotten those ceramics classes for your husband and just tried something new, then, you know, maybe you'd not, you wouldn't have this collaborative partnership like you do now.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, th- I think that there's also uh, right now kind of this like wonderful appreciation that I'm seeing, like, I- I'm seeing it within the arts community more so than like outside of it, but um, an appreciation for wonky art I think a lot of people are getting back into like the idea of like naive art and folk art and seeing like the untaught artists that we've forgotten and looking at their work and seeing where it's just like, it looks bad, but good. (laughs) You're like, why do I like this so much? It's, it's unlearned. It's raw. I think that there's a lot of that coming out right now, or like even just showing off on your professional Instagram, you're like, look at this, like really Bad, I don't know, Sculpey dog that I made. Everyone's like, "I love that dog. That dog is me." <laughs> you know, I feel like there's there's some appreciation for failure coming out now that within the arts community that like wasn't wasn't there before. I just I hope that that permeates like elsewhere too. Yeah, I never really
0: thought of it that way, but I remember not that I'm that far removed from school, but I remember in school going through some illustration classes and everything really was being pushed in the direction of like it has to be totally polished and it has to be really high high level super refined it has to be as perfect as possible and i agree i love the embracing of wonky art and yeah. art that embraces the mistakes and and embraces the weirdness and i don't know i think those are some of the things i like the most in my work and when i let it go further in that direction it, it ends up being
1: surprisingly pleasant yeah. And letting it is like kind of the most difficult like component of that too. Like giving yourself the the permission to let yourself possibly ruin a piece. I, I think even very recently, I think I've only gotten into this idea of wonky art and letting go personally since i graduated and as almost a response to all of the perfectionism of my students because i have there's so much like stress to absorb from 18 young people looking at you and saying like how do i do this right so i can get a job and just sitting there going oh my god i have no idea <laughs> like <laughs> honestly just you have to like live an authentic life and be yourself and go through a lot of years of trying So I I think that a lot of me searching for like pleasant failures and and all of that has been largely in response to, to me teaching and realizing that, you know, a lot of these students are going to have to, you know, have their own adventure and that might be really hard for them. So I want to, I kind of want to introduce that early in the classroom as it's like failure is going to be a big part of your, your experience. And I think it should be possibly more of mine as your teacher. So that's what I've been like looking for yeah my classes are weird (laughs) there's a lot of there's a lot of me telling them like yeah let's just like try this out and then like they're like this didn't work this tool that you gave me didn't work I'm like cool I mean that's fine (laughs) let's see let's see what it what it did do yeah, as I said, I make them all paint with like toothbrushes in one of my classes. Um, I like, I do this (laughs) one workshop in which it's called like, um, like uncommon tools. And it's so uncommon that like, I just go to like a hardware store and I buy like all sorts of random brushes and like, um, sticks and stuff like that. And I make them sit and paint with ink for a while (laughs) using like no tool that they're comfortable with and seeing what they what what happens like seeing what shapes form and stuff like that half of them love that exercise and half of them absolutely hate it <laughs> I yeah. interrupted you I, before
2: oh no I opposite I think um <laughs> I was just gonna share I think that it's um it's so wonderful that you approach teaching in that way because I think you know especially at a higher ed level there is this you know easily this kind of power dynamic or imbalance where you know you're the professor, or the faculty member that's there to to share what you know and and I think you know especially at an art and design college where so much of of it is about you know breaking rules and trying new things and um, just being open about that that process and what it looks like in your own life um, you know I think is is really valuable for again, for students to feel empowered that they can, you know, make those same experiments. And it's just great to hear that because I, I do think that, you know, part of the the mystery around what it looks like to be an artist is because maybe those things aren't talked about or embraced enough. Um, so just the willingness to even share, like, I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to this. You know, we're all figuring this out as we go. And, you know, we're we're in this process together. And so kind of fostering that that relationship and making it okay to to not know the answers um, is a really powerful thing.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something that's like good to engage with the students. It's also a frightening thing to hear, right? Like if you're 20 years old and your professor is like, "Ah, oh, it's gonna take you a long time, you have to live a life and be, <laughs> you might not find it sure. right away. Um, so I think that, that it's definitely like a balancing act of trying to give hopeful encouragement in the ways where you say failure is okay, but then you also have to it's tempered with the idea that the future is an uncertain thing. Even if you go to the right art school, even if you you know get great grades, who cares about grades? I don't know. <laughs> they don't matter. <laughs> Big secret revealed grades don't matter. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I know, right? Who knew? Happy. <laughs> It cannot be, they don't, no one looks at your transcript. I mean, maybe people do. I I just don't think it's, I don't think it's really applicable to art institutions. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I think that it's a scary thing to tell students that, you know, like, sure, you can be as career focused right now as you want to be, but that doesn't actually dictate what your career is going to be like or what your path is going to be like. It's a scary thing to also have to tell them. <laughs>
2: It is, yeah. But I I do think there is something to that, you know, level of transparency and and just creating space for a, a safe space, you know, within an academic environment to kind of build that expectation and resiliency and to understand that there is a support network that I think more than anything, I feel like what we've learned is that, you know, even if you don't have all the answers for your own life, that there are people out there that are willing to share from their experiences. And that's what, The podcast has really taught us. And so just the knowledge that there is this community there that will support you even when you are experimenting and when things don't go as planned.
1: Yeah, so nice. I think that a big reason, too, why I approach teaching like this is because I was so scared of my professors. I would not ask them for any kind of help. And then the professors I wasn't scared of, I didn't really respect because I wasn't afraid of them. I was like, well, yeah. it's a dichotomy, right? You're either afraid of them or they don't matter. <laughs> and so there's just like such a terrible way to go about um, engaging in, in academia. I didn't have a great like experience with any of my professors and, well, actually maybe one of them. One one professor was like absolutely fantastic. Her name is Brenda Garand and she's a sculptor and her work is really cool. Um, she was always extremely supportive of me. And I, I think about her like just lovingly. <laughs> But I had my, oh my gosh, my senior thesis time at our school. We each got like a, a small studio space and to show your thesis work, you kind of like picked out all of your favorite pieces and you pinned up within your, your space and you waited for like a critic and some guest critics to come to your space and, and basically see what your process is what you're, and what you're making. And I had this one um, visiting artist look at all of my work and I'm a senior and like I've been working really hard and there's my work I was a sculptor um I did a lot of soft sculptures um but I also started to get into comics around then and so I started to do some drawing I did things with very very large like I did a large triptych that was in a, in a sense a comic but it was just like super big um and done with ink and I'm showing a lot of like the sketches for these kinds of things. And she looks at me and she goes, Have you taken uh, drawing one? And I was like, uh, yeah, it's actually um, a required course to, you know, go on and take any of the advanced courses here. And she goes, I think you should probably take it again. And that was the only input oh I got God. from the visiting artist. And that oh, one killed no. me. It, it so ruined me. <laughs> it was so savage. I was like, I just sobbed for like two days after that. I was like, How could they? <laughs> it was just so much work too. I was like, Oh, to, to do that to someone.
2: Is so rude. <laughs> it's funny because those offhanded things, I'm sure she thought nothing of it, you know, but it, it, those, you know, can really stick with you. And I feel like we've all had those experiences. I can think of a time when I was in an artist residency. This was my first residency abroad after I graduated from art school. And this other artist came into the studio and, you know, I was working on some paintings. I didn't have a lot of work because I had just gotten there. And he sort of looks at the work in progress and then looks at me and just goes, Painting is um, is difficult. And that was all that he said. And so I just had this impression that oh my gosh, like I've like <laughs> I mean he's not wrong, but But it was so yeah, pointed. It was a little it discouraging was at you. Yeah, it was it was a
1: pointed comment at like your work that he's interacting with in that moment. It's like oh painting is difficult. And you're like, Isn't it? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it was
0: clearly his way of saying, painting looks like it's really hard for you, huh? Yeah, gosh. Yeah, I'm sure we all have those critiques. I mean, I know I do. I just can think of so many people that have come up to me at craft shows and been like, huh, you're charging for this? I'm like, yes, I am. And you don't don't have have to buy it. it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, exactly. Yeah, Uh right? So you have been spending your time Doing a lot of different things, it looks like professional kind of client-based illustration work, uh, teaching, obviously, Lucky Mud, your project, along with, it sounds like, craft shows uh, where you and Amanda met, and other things, I'm sure. How would you describe um, the way that you're splitting your time? What is the, you know, the, the balance of professional projects for you currently yeah, I
1: mean, it's very different in the time of COVID. Uh, my it's, sure. it's all changed so much. But prior to that, the professional project kind of like atmosphere was really based on like how much energy I had and, and what was energizing me at the moment, right? Um, so the the main stuff would be, I actually don't, I have, I've been very, very lucky in that a lot of work has found me in like the past two years um, and I haven't had to go searching a lot for it. And then the teaching component was more so just because I wanted to maintain my activity within like the MICA community and (laughs) I wanted to have access to resources (laughs) there, (laughs) Um, but then I I ended up falling in love with it. So uh, for the past two years, like a lot of the client work has come to me and I've decided whether to take it on based on, you know, the the pay, but then also um, a lot of whether it kind of like fits in with my own Ideas of myself as an artist, as an illustrator, you take on a lot of work that is um, related to narrative or related to just a mission statement, right? Um, so a lot of the work that I take on is very much related to like positive body image and social justice and like things like that. Um, adventure, kind of like positive expressions of of self, and that's always kind of the priority because like it's good paid work. And it's building my portfolio. I've only been like a professional quote unquote illustrator since I graduated in 2018. So it's been two years. So that that takes up the bulk of like my time. I'm also working on a book, <laughs> which is taking up the bulk, bulk, bulk of my time right now because I'm trying to finish, finish, finish it. <laughs> so, what you guys mentioned in the very beginning was my MFA thesis, uh, which was called "Lucky News and Grocery." It was this like installation that was kind of this idea of an installation that that encapsulated myself as like this bodega and like my experiences in finding myself as like a, a second or third adolescence, right? Like we all, you know, we turn 18 and then we're like, we're a person now. And then you like turn 25, you're like, now I'm a person. And then like, maybe around 30, you're like, okay, starting now I'm a person. <laughs> um, I've, never related, so, I've never
0: related to anything more than what you just I know,
1: said. Right, <laughs> right. It's just like starting now. <laughs> So that that was the big idea around my, my thesis. And I did two like graphic novellas that um, were a part of it, 250 page um, comics that were very much about me and kind of like this second or third coming of age and, and then thinking about self and how that, that relates to how I think about, you know. Uh, One of them was having a baby. um, And then one of them was uh, more so about like kind of like gentrification and space. So from that, um, an editor saw my work and asked me if I wanted to help draw a graphic novel. And by help draw a graphic novel, I mean draw a whole graphic novel (laughs) for um, a script that was already made. And so that will be coming out in like, I think, two years' time. And I'm trying to finish all of the the art for it this year. So yeah, that's, that's where honestly like the bulk of my time goes and it's completely unshown and it's completely untalked about because it's kind of, you know, not under wraps, but it's just not something that I can share yet visually. So that's where a lot of my time goes. Yeah. And then the teaching, I spend tons of time just like creating lesson plans and stuff because I'm, just a a very curious person and I enjoy research (laughs) so sometimes I kind of go overboard (laughs) but yeah now now in COVID times I'm not I'm like you guys are saying I'm I'm actually I'm pregnant right now and so I've been very isolated in my home and in my little corner of the world which allows for a little bit more focus, but I'm also not going to be teaching this fall and we'll see if I teach in the spring. I, I don't know if it'll be safe for like my now family. So I, I have more time for things like, yeah, the book client work, just personal work. Maybe I'm not really sure. <laughs> that was a very long answer to a very simple question. <laughs>
2: no I mean yeah that's a there's a lot obviously that goes into <laughs> into your life and work so this book project has been nearly two or two years in the making then already at this point it sounds like
1: yeah and it it shouldn't be <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm very hard on myself my editor is like oh you're making great progress I'm like oh my god it's taking so long <laughs> I, I yeah it was it was a terrifying thing to start I think that that was actually I fell into the trap of not starting um or like s- starting kind of like half acidly because I was too afraid of like how real it was and so I feel like I've only been really working on it for like a year whereas like the first year was me being like I don't know kind of like tiptoeing around it like oh crap oh crap oh crap. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That sounds like the start of our podcasting experience.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think it's the start of so many big projects. And maybe that's another thing to normalize is like the idea that like, it's okay to be scared. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe, maybe, who knows? I would like to be someone who like jumps into cold water, but I'm not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think fear is such a big part of it. And I mean, we were talking before how we were nervous before the call, but like Nicole and I were so nervous of like every aspect of podcasting when we first thought of it, we're like, we really need to make sure to give ourselves tons of time to research and really figure it out and maybe re-record our first episodes like three times because it's so scary to try to, I don't know, take on something new, especially when it's big and you don't really realize how big it could become. Um, And there's that sense of responsibility that comes with it that also adds to the weight of, of the feelings and fear. But those are the things that often challenge us and can kind of create more opportunities. And, you know, even if I'll knock on wood right now, but even if for some reason those ventures fail, those are still learning experiences that inform your next thing and You know, like we were saying
1: before, failure is not the worst thing. Yeah, especially creatively, because so many creative pursuits are so public facing and we put ourselves out there every time we make something that we intend to show or share or, you know, put on the uh, iTunes Apple store kind of thing. Um, Yeah, that that failure becomes almost I don't know, heightened. (laughs) It's, it's funny that so many artists, you know, I included see themselves kind of as introverted or, or would prefer to stay at home. And yet in many ways, we're very, very, very visible. (laughs) It's like, we're trying to like hide in the jungle, but we're like a million different colors. (laughs) It's like, we can see you. (laughs) You're really putting it out there.
2: (laughs) I, that's a beautiful uh, visual way to <laughs> yeah.
1: describe
2: that. Maybe like a mantis shrimp. Have you guys seen those?
0: Yes, they're oh, amazing. Yeah. I think I first heard about them on an episode of Radio Lab that was talking about how they can see more colors yes. than any other I to that creature. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I think I think that those are definitely like the artists because you're like deep sea underworld. Like you go through the dark and you're like, oh wow, what am I gonna find down here? And there's just like this, boom! I'm a shrimp. I'm a technicolor shrimp. And it's like don't look at me. But you're like, I'm gonna look, look at, it me at me. But <laughs> look at me. Yeah, you're wild looking. I'm gonna can't not look at you. Don't all look right, at just me. Stop. Yeah, that's those are artists. <laughs>
0: Um, I know we started to kind of touch on it a little bit, but obviously we are recording this in 2020, so there's a whole lot of shifts in how that affects, I mean, even just your expectations of what you thought this year was going to look like and the projects that you take on, and I imagine it's affected the way that you're educating and, I mean, clearly, definitely, obviously. (laughs) But I'm curious about how, I'll probably have to ask this through, like, all your different projects, but like through educating, how are you shifting gears through your art practice? I mean, I, I'll i start with that. I have more questions yeah. to follow up it with.
1: Is, it's such a complicated thing to say like, okay, so how do you be a person during a pandemic, right? And it, like, there's just that component of it. There's like that larger umbrella of like, how do you exist? And then it's like, okay, how do you exist creatively? How do you exist professionally? We've been taking it and I say we, because you know, it's, it's this, everyone has their own bubble now. Right. And so our my bubble is me and Andy and our two cats and our dog and all of our plants. <laughs> but the way that we've been handling it is very, it feels very week by week because I think that I've been talking to friends. and I, I feel like everybody's been feeling this idea of like, you'll have like a couple of like weeks of like it being really good. And you're like, I got this. I have a routine. I'm fine. We're going to be fine. And then it just hits a wall and you're like, everything is the worst. This is never going to end. And I am so sad. So I think that, yeah, (laughs) having that flexibility to like allow yourself a bad week, I was going to say a bad day, It's, it's more like a bad week has been necessary. It's not easy. I definitely like the Monday of a bad week. I'm like, no, I have to push through this. The Tuesday of a bad week. It's like, I can't believe this is happening again. I thought I wasn't going to have more bad weeks. And then, and then you kind of find a way out of it. I am very grateful. I do want to say too, to have like a really supportive, creative partner who understands what I do, who understands like the space that I need, who understands like that I've been working at home for the past like very many years and he's new to working at home. So like, this is a shared space and we're still working it out. So I know that a lot of people are either like quarantining alone, which is seems so difficult or they're with roommates, which again, like has a lot of like, I don't know, some, some weird, I, I feel like there's like a weird dynamic to like having roommates, <laughs> especially during quarantine because you, you can't be accountable for them. Right. Um, they're their own people. Um, but I, I mean, I get, maybe this is just showing them a control freak. I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> what are you doing with your time? <laughs> so, I mean, just just in regards of that, I think that have like understanding our space and understanding how we relate to this space and we relate to like these hills and valleys has been... Really important <laughs> to just doing anything like cooking, because <laughs> like yesterday we were we love to cook we cook all the time and yesterday Andy and I were just like I think one of us was like laying on the couch the other person was like laying on the floor I'm like we're we're not cooking today we're gonna get takeout <laughs> like it's we are obviously not doing it like we had a whole plan for dinner we had like the stuff out and nothing was chopped we're like neither of us is chopping it's not going to happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there are definitely many days, and I don't even do any any of the cooking in my household. My <laughs> husband, husband handles all of it, and he went out That's of town. <laughs> he went out of town for ten days. Um, he's in a band, and he, him and his band quarantined, and then went off to go write together. And the whole time he was gone, I was like, okay, if I get a really big tub of guac and chips, that can be my lunches <laughs> if I eat. <laughs> I get a thing of tofu pups that should get me through and then I'll make pasta like once every four days and make enough for four days. (laughs) Love it. There's no judgment whatsoever. It's a hard season and those swings it's almost like I don't know I'm experiencing quarantine sort of in similar waves of experiencing grief because you go through these periods where you're like I am so overwhelmed and this is so horrifying and I just cannot bring myself to do anything and all I want to do is cry and have someone bring me food <laughs> um, Yeah, <laughs> if I can eat but then you have days where you're like I'm okay I think I might be over it I think I might be fine I think this is the new me I'm all better and then the next day you're like cool I'm crying on the floor again and I thought I was fine and you know the hard days I think are hopefully getting a little bit further apart or the hard weeks are getting a little further apart. But they're still there. And we're still we're still in a pandemic on top of all the additional, you know, world traumas on top of personal traumas. Like there's just so much heavy. We got to let ourselves breathe this, you know, when we can.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, the the idea of like experiencing this as experiencing grief is definitely like, I don't know, because it again, like a lot of my experience of this pandemic has like, uh, existed in the form of like, just a, ta- like a tantrum, like, like my down weeks are, are because I'm frustrated because I, I like listened to the news a whole bunch and I feel powerless. Right. And I feel little and I don't want to, and I'm not little, <laughs> like I'm big, but I can't like leave my backyard. <laughs> like, what the hell? Someone asked me if like, or they said that I hope that, you know, your creativity and your like creative output is like helping you through this right now. And sometimes it does. And I, I will say that like a lot of, of just my own prac, my own personal practice outside of what I do professionally does definitely like help me process a lot of like my thoughts and emotions. And sometimes I put that on Instagram, but a lot of times actually, like I have a, a comics journal that's like pretty much just for me. I'm, I'm not against sharing it, but it's not for mass consumption. And having that has been really wonderful in a lot of ways. But as soon as it gets to be something that I feel like I have to do, I get angry at that too. <laughs> I'm like, there's just too many things I have to do. Um, and then I put it away for a while. And so the creative like outlet as a source of solace uh, has been definitely like a component of me existing in this pandemic, but it's it's a component of me existing just in general. <laughs> so I feel like maybe it's adapted to this a little bit. Maybe it's more important to have like, like I said, uh, a creative pursuit that like isn't for mass consumption because a lot of people think that everything that they make has to go on Instagram. And I used to be one of those people, and I still fall into that like trap a lot of the time. But when I make things that I don't intend to show it can be really freeing and allow me to do my other work. Like it it clears my brain out, you know, like it just kind of put it down and put it away. Yeah.
0: One of the things that I have really been enjoying and it's helped me a lot as a Baltimore city resident, but I have really appreciated how on Instagram, really since protests started, you've been putting together these protest schedules and I've noticed in general, like so many artists are using their voices to help spread information right now um, since Black Lives Matter really had a, a new resurgence in 2020. And I'm curious about kind of your point of view on that and what you've been seeing with art activism as it's been shifting in this climate.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I definitely like I started doing the like action calendars is what I call them. Just because I, again, like it it was a a project that arose out of personal frustration. (laughs) Being pregnant, I, I, it's just kind of everyone can make their own decisions, but it it was a decision that myself and Andy made that I I really shouldn't be going out. Um, I can go outside, I can go on walks, I can like be in a park if everyone else is wearing masks, but I'm at higher risk of like getting COVID. So, um, a protest, which is how I would normally interact with this moment is, was not on the table for me. And I was angry because I was like, well, f- fuck, this is how I live my life. This is how I see myself and it's being changed like because of external and very internal um, circumstances. So the the, engaging with the information that was being put out there and and kind of like collecting it all into one space was something that I saw as a need. This is where like having a a design background has helped and having kind of like a UX and like web design background has helped. I've, I've worked with a lot of startups and so I was like, okay, where's our pain points here? And the idea of like the pain point was that I was just constantly seeing, I was getting like a barrage of information via stories that, you know, weren't being saved. And I was like, I'm sure that, you know, there are plenty of people who are more disorganized than I am and want to be involved in a lot of these things, but because they only see them for a blip and then they don't write them down, they forget when they are. And then it takes forever to go find them again, if they're willing to put that time in. So I was like, well, I mean, I think one easy way for me to like engage with this moment would be to just... Be an organizer visually, be an organizer in this like little world that I'm able to control, which is just like (laughs) my little tiny corner of the Internet. Right. So doing like content production and being like a content person as part of like the larger movement is definitely like a very small part. I wouldn't call myself like an organizer or anything because I'm not organizing these protests. I'm not somebody, I'm just amplifying, right? So I'm less like a big megaphone who's saying like, go to these marches, support these people. (laughs) Yeah, give money here. And it's become something that I am really happy that I'm doing because I get a lot of like very positive feedback about it. So I have continued to get feedback that it's, it's a need that's being filled. And so I'm like, as long as I get that kind of like feedback and as long as I see that people are, you know, using this information positively, I'm going to keep putting it out there because it's like, like I said, it's, it's time that I would be probably spending on the streets if I could, but due to the fact that like, yeah, not even, not even just coronavirus and when everything was starting, I was like. Just the, and and we're seeing it in Portland too, just like the possibility of physical harm. Like everything in Baltimore has been wonderful and peaceful and like the cops have like stayed out of everyone's hair, which is pretty good. It's just as far as like I'm aware. But yeah, I was like, I'm more afraid of cops, honestly, than I am of like any kind of other circumstance. I don't think that my being pregnant would stop anybody from a tear gas canister or like shooting a rubber bullet or something. So the idea that like, my body would be in harm's way was not something that we were really willing to risk so yeah yeah
0: because it's not just your body anymore at that point you
1: yeah you got something else going
0: on also I mentioned that it was protest schedules but you're also putting together information about local mutual aids where to donate where people can get access to food voter registration and deadlines and it's been so helpful to see that information going out there. And I think it also enables and empowers others to continue to spread that information and to create that themselves. Um, yeah, I'm I'm grateful that you're doing it. And I know it's it does help. And you, you feel so isolated alone at home and in your studio or, you know, you want to be able to do more than maybe you can. And I think as artists, we have these skills and these voices that we can use to, to help aid organizers that are doing the work on the ground and we can help to amplify their voices with our ability to make bright, beautiful posters that catch people's attention.
1: Yeah. And and again, like, I think that that's just definitely like the, the focus is like being an amplifier and not trying to take any initiative, you know, for yourself and, and like saying, this is not my fight, right? Like this is not like the thing that I'm going to take ownership of because like I guess, hi, people who are listening. I'm a cis white woman. (laughs) Like (laughs) I just, I, I, this isn't, this isn't a space for me to be saying like, I'm so great and look at my art. It's a space for me to say like, look at all of these other things that are happening. And maybe because you follow me or because like, you know, I organize in this like my the information in this specific way, and it's easy for you. You can you can go and look at something that's more important. <laughs> um, yeah, and just like kind of directing attention, which is kind of like an interesting tool these days too. It's like the idea of like using yeah bright colors, our mantis shrimp energy to like direct attention around so that people are looking at uh, helpful things, not necessarily the right things, but helpful things. For sure. I think that there's, there's definitely people who are trying to capitalize like on, on the moment, definitely brands try to do that often. And I think that this is just kind of gross (laughs) and, and problematic, but as long as people think that I'm doing it in a good way. (laughs) I I also am very like open to criticism too. I've, I've definitely, it took a lot of like thought at the very beginning of like how I wanted to use my art to amplify others as opposed to just mm, make myself feel more important. So that's a, it's constantly on my mind. And I think it's a good thing to like be constantly asking yourself, you know, like, am I, doing the thing that I set out to do, or has it like shifted somewhat? And how can I like re rearrange my course, redirect myself to be more yeah, authentic in, in how I'm expressing my beliefs?
0: I guess we kind of touched on this a little bit, but maybe it's more so in terms of 2020. I feel like a lot of these conversations that we have are really about bringing attention to the stark differences between the expectations of a life as an artist and the realities of a life as an artist. How are you kind of adapting through those expectations, especially through 2020 and how that's informing the way that you work and think about your work?
1: Yeah. I mean, 2020 for everyone is, is a different like experience for me. I mean, 2020, began as like oh I'm reframing my concept of who I am as an artist because I'm planning on having a kid <laughs> right so I found out that I was pregnant like in late February <laughs> like right before we like shut down. <laughs> um, timing. I know right um, so I mean it's been a constant shift it, first it was like I was really concerned about what my creative and like artistic life would be as also a mother, and that was something that was very much on my mind. I was looking at, I was looking at different artists and illustrators who I admire, like Carson Ellis, uh, Elizabeth Heidel. Like, there's just some people out there who are also moms, and just kind of like looking and saying, like, does it change you? Does it change you as an artist? Does it change your time? Like, because I, I love, I love to work. <laughs> I hate to be one of those people. I, I don't, I don't ascribe to hustle culture. or I try not to, but I do really enjoy getting down and making stuff all the time so it's like am i gonna have the same kind of energy to to do these things so that was how i was like approaching 2020 and like reframing at first but it's that's different (laughs) now after we've been in this pandemic for a long time i think a lot of my reframing has had to center around how to better take care of my body and in this like new space and in this new world and how to better take care of like my mental state because the things that used to be kind of like these anchors for me the things I used to like kind of gravitate towards in terms of finding self-care and finding balance aren't available to me anymore like one of them was really simple it was you know if I feel like I'm I've been stuck at home in my bubble for too long or I haven't like just been talking to people or anything i would just go to a cafe and i would bring my computer and my sketchbook and basically i'd go and let myself choose you know am i going to be doing emails and be productive or am i going to like draw people and people watch but just the idea of like <laughs> going out into the world and like allowing myself to kind of just sit and absorb and uh, interact with it in that way was like a balancing feature that i don't have access to anymore so finding things that either take the place of those things or kind of like are placeholders for those things have been something that i'm needing to find i don't know if i found them yet it's so hard and I, I I but I'm aware that like I need to rest more and I'm resting more. I'm aware that like, you know, I really like running and I I exercise and I really like doing yoga, but I, I'm really bad at doing like yoga at home. I need I can't do a Zoom class. I'm this crap at like logging into a Zoom class and being like, Yes, this is what I'm doing now. I'm like, no, this is my living room. Like my my dog is underneath me. <laughs> like I can't I can't focus. <laughs> this isn't the space for this. So yeah, figuring, figuring that out has been very weird and difficult. And then also like just the idea of space in general is like, what parts of your house are for what, (laughs) right? Like we're so lucky to have like a studio and office space. And like, this is where we work and this is where, you know, our, our days start and kind of like end at five. And then there's the kitchen and the living room. And that's where we like spend weekends (laughs) and then there's like the bedroom and like that's just like kind of like slow mornings you don't expect anything in there yeah I feel like space has taken on its own personality and like trying to figure out how I exist in different spaces it's just definitely like 2020 has made it weird (laughs) and like more human (laughs) but yeah yeah
2: it's so funny I wasn't thinking about that but now that you say it I I live in a Kind of a maybe like six hundred square foot apartment in San Francisco. And so all of our our spaces have a dual function now, especially. So I'm sitting at our kitchen table, which is both like my work that's like my desk <laughs> and podcasting space, and then also where we eat. And then I have like one spot on the couch that is my other other desk, <laughs> but also like the place where we watch TV and relax. And so I think one thing that's definitely been challenging um, for us is like creating those work life, you know boundaries and I think this is also outside of COVID, so this, this isn't necessarily a problem created by the pandemic, um, but it's just, I think, made us a lot more aware of, you know, how we're using the space and, you know, how we're sharing it and what what the purpose is at different points in the day, um, just being more aware of that.
1: Yeah, but it's accentuated by COVID too, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's something that maybe existed before, but not as like, not as intensely.
2: <laughs> yeah. This question's a little connected, but I also wanted to know in what ways has being uh, becoming a new mom or learning that you'll soon become a mother shifted um and you know changed your your creative workflow or you know just how you're thinking about things in general
1: yeah, I'm <laughs> very recently like this week or the week before it put me into a bit of a panic. (laughs) Cause I was just like, I need to get everything done. Everything has to be done before October, October, this kid is coming and I don't know why, but I was like, and like current Haley will cease to exist. (laughs) I will make this baby. I will shed like a shell and, and everything's going to be different. Yeah. The idea of like who I am and like how it changes my creative, process is is definitely like uh, an evolving idea (laughs) but I definitely have been in conversation with it it's kind of a funny thing I I don't think that I had a set idea of what it was when I we decided that we wanted to have a kid and I kind of knew that you know it would be a process that I have to constantly engage with and question in order to like really figure out again, what that, that balance is and where, where my opinions about it really lie and being able to like have that flexibility, even just like talking about flexibility is like painful to me. I'm like, I don't know. I just want to like have rules and like follow them and go forward. But I think that's one of like the wild things about being pregnant right now. Is like, I was talking about self-care and like needing to rest and like, when I need to rest, I really, really need to rest. Not just because, you know, to give value to the mental strife that I'm feeling or like the, you know, collective trauma that we're all feeling, but because physically my body's doing a really hard thing right now. And like, you know, I have, yeah, I just, I have to sleep. (laughs) I have to have a nap time. And so that's, that's something that I didn't really plan on um and so i thought that i'd be getting more work done right now and so it it comes with like a little bit of panic of like i'm not working hard enough i'm like well you have to like shift your expectations of like what hard enough is or you have to shift your expectations of like what productive is i don't think i'm completely there yet but i'm aware that that's kind of what i'm going for is like this shifting of expectations of what do i expect of myself in terms of like production, because I haven't lost like my drive to create, right? I still want to make stuff all the time. And I'm very happy that that's been the case because I know a lot of people have gotten into quarantine or even like become pregnant and, you know, kind of like lost it for a bit, which is okay. Not wanting to, to make anything, but um, yeah, mine has just been being willing to slow down and write an idea down and save it for later, (laughs) as opposed to like doing everything immediately.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's like all of a sudden your body's working overtime and you are, you are producing something just uh, below the surface. And so shifting that idea of what, what does work look like for, for your body is, um, I'm sure really interesting mental shift.
1: Yeah. It was kind of funny during, uh, like the, last like in-person days at school Um, right after I had found out that I was pregnant like in very early March late late February I had told my program director that like or my chair that I I wasn't going to be teaching in the fall just because I was due at midterm (laughs) and I was like it's not gonna work and so my name wasn't appearing on all of these class schedules and a bunch of students were asking me like Why aren't you teaching this class? I was going to take this class with you. I was planning on teaching you teaching comics in the fall. And I was like, I have a big project I'm working on. I'm taking some time off <laughs> for a project. <laughs> and some of them found sort out of that a nine-month creative development. <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh, it's good. I, um, you know, they're like, oh, what's it about? Like, I can't really tell anybody right now. <laughs> Life. <laughs> Life itself. It's currently a very small project,
0: but it will be okay. very
1: large and loud by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it will be, I've, a lot of people will know about it by then. But yeah, it was just, it was a funny thing because I was like, oh, uh, this is impacting multiple people, like based on like my, decisions and things like that they, they want to know what's going on like I'm not going to tell a bunch of like 19 year olds like guess what I just got pregnant um, <laughs> especially in the first like trimester when you don't know what's going to happen I was just like oh uh, yeah uh, I have a big project I'm working on so you'll, you'll find out
2: about it you'll find out <laughs> it's in the incubation stage right now but <laughs> coming this October
0: <laughs> right exactly yeah I feel like such a common theme that I've been seeing in myself, but also in a lot of my friends and like people within the creative community is this idea of kind of learning when you are tired and like when you're used (laughs) up and when you've kind of done as much as you can. And I've been thinking of it in a lot in terms of uh, like, you can't pour from an empty cup. And I'm constantly saying that to my husband because he'll have periods of time where he's extremely prolific and he's like, yeah, I'm writing a song a day. I'm just going crazy making stuff. And then he'll have days where he's like, yeah, I don't feel like doing anything. And then we'll get really hard on himself and be like, oh, I'm wasting my time. I should be productive, but you have to, especially as a creative who, you know, your identity and your life is the fuel that that creates your work. You have to let yourself refuel. And it's really hard when we value ourselves simply by the
1: output and not by all of the labor that goes into that final piece. Totally. The should the shoulds are poisonous. I, I fall into the poisonous should often. And then there's also just like the aspect of I feel like everything is uh, when it comes to the idea of self, like your own self productivity and, and everything is under a microscope in the pandemic because you're so isolated and you're not, you're not seeing people as often. I feel like in times where I was less productive, it was often offset by me spending time with friends or like, you know, being more social or just allowing that ebb and flow to like occur more naturally or like have, a more natural outlet or even distraction, right? from your own like unproductivity. Um, you could say like, "Oh, I haven't been productive and it makes me feel bad and I'm going to go get a drink with a friend." <laughs> you know, and it's a really nice kind of way to like yeah, offset that own personal scrutiny. But yeah, here I can't escape from me. <laughs> I'm everywhere. It's terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't even have a drink with your friend over Zoom. There's there's nothing.
1: No, I've been having yeah. like a LaCroix or like something. I'm like, this is, this is fine. <laughs> this is not the same, but there are bubbles and flavor. So I guess this will suffice. Yes, it will suffice for now. I am, I am very much looking forward to like a really well-crafted like Negroni. Negroni is my drink of choice. I cannot wait to have one. I will be giving birth in October so I can have like a good like winter like late fall Negroni. It's going to be so crispy and delicious. It's so good. I know, right? I'm just, I'm very excited.
0: <laughs> just deliver one to you bedside. It's like, all right, baby's out. Here's your Negroni, relax. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, skin to skin is over. Let's get that Negroni. <laughs> just Something sustainable, yeah. please. <laughs> yes, right. I, I whip out my own like little portable straw. I'm like, I'm ready. Ready anymore. <laughs> I have this. This is
0: here. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you could probably get a cocktail to go. It's like so common now. The other day, Mike brought home it was like a hurricane in a can from, <laughs> and uh, that that did the trick. <laughs>
1: and, then there, and and then it was a night.
0: Yeah,
1: we were are like living in New Orleans now. you can just get drinks to go.
0: Yeah. I really hope that becomes a permanent permanent thing. I love a, I love a to-go drink. There was a job that I used to have at this cafe downtown and I would work the like Sunday brunch shift, which was always the worst. Brunch customers, as I have been one, are the worst. Uh, but then I would make myself a little, a little roadie to go and and sip my, like, what did I always make? It was a, like a lavender, Ooh. Gin lemonade and it's it was good. like a walk home and I would just have that and I'm like putting on my music getting a little drunk on the walk home everything's
1: great, my great. <laughs> keep that in and like I also add like the the recipe for that because that sounds delicious <laughs> yeah I would love to know
0: uh, this restaurant everything's yeah. made from scratch so we would just squeeze lemons make a lavender simple syrup and then uh, throw some gin in it it's there you go.
1: Oh. I'll, I'll make you one. I also, I was like, I also want that one after I give birth. I'm just like, have a list of cocktails. <laughs> uh, that sounds great. Oh, you'll wait for summer for that, though. Yeah, I'll wait for summer. <laughs> uh, or maybe like a, a late spring for for Baltimore, where it'll be a hundred degrees by you know March, so it's fine. Right, all
2: year long. Haley, is there anything that we haven't talked about or haven't covered yet that you would want to share? That is a a big part of our story, that or your story that we haven't asked about yet.
0: Our story.
1: Our story. I it's like all our, our story.
2: It's our story now. I don't know. I don't
1: think so. I mean, like it's been a fun chat just to talk about life as it is right now. I think that it's kind of funny. Like even if. I listen to a bunch of other podcasts too, but the conversations, whether they be kind of um, set within politics or they set within like, I don't know, just talking about like the zeitgeist or something like that um, or creativity like we're doing, it's always kind of comes around to like, so how are you coping right now? <laughs> like what's, what do you, cause I, I think that that's just kind of like the common experience that everyone's, you know, really touching on at the same moment. And so I think that that's, I don't want to be like the, everything has like a silver lining person, but I do think that's really interesting right now that we are all going through such a common experience, no matter how different it looks between all of our different bubbles, all of our different homes, right? Like you, you guys aren't pregnant, but I mean, you're still going through this quarantining phase and this idea of like, a a mass kind of grieving process for what our lives were like you know a year ago and looking like what was last year like and and looking at our old photos and saying like oh look at that and look how happy i was and <laughs> look at all the things i was doing and all the things i was planning and then also the idea that um collectively looking forward is so foggy to like everyone right now so the idea of like being a future planner and somebody who is like super hyper productive and saying like, I have like all of my ducks in a row and I know exactly what I'm going to be doing in like, you know, March of next year. You don't, no one does. And so I think that we're all going through this experience of like kind of letting go a little bit more and what that looks like for everybody is going to be different. But I I'm very curious to see what people's output and what people's like everyday life is going to be like when we do someday emerge from this fog um, just because we've all had to live in the moment a little bit more, which is something that's hard for me to do. But um, I think it's just it's just a necessity at this point. So, yeah, what that means creatively, what that means, you know, politically, what that means in every kind of like bastion of life. It's like, well, what do we do right now? (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's such a unique moment in time. Um, and, and to be having these conversations too, I think um, you know obviously nobody could have really predicted what this year would be like. And um, you know, we're we're really interested in the behind the scenes. like that's the the crux of these conversations is everything that goes on. You know, around and behind the creative work itself, and so I think it's just become such a, a focal point for this year, and is also something that I guess you know I'm thinking a little bit of as an, an archive of of this moment in time. You know, when we do look back, hopefully within one, two, several years from now, um, on what what this collective experience was like, that we we have this collection of stories to. You know, to return to and remember, and I even think like when Amanda and I have talked about our sharing our own stories on the podcast, we we started this a couple years ago, and we did um, an episode where we interviewed each other really early on. But you know, we've brought up like should we should we go back and re-record those at any point? I mean, so much has changed in our lives, you know. But then I think um, it's also like it's capturing a moment in time. You know, it's a it's a Sort of a time capsule of sorts, and so I think it's fine that it it reflects, you know, where you were in that moment, and so that's kind of how I've been looking at these conversations we're having too. Is it is a, a kind of a rare glimpse into, you know, what is going through our our minds at this time, and I can only imagine decades from now it, it'll it'll feel like such a memory, you know, and I don't know, I can imagine. future generations asking what was it like living in 2020 and it's crazy that you know it feels it's so visceral so immediate right now but we just I can imagine a time where that that even that will become a little bit foggy and hard to remember. Like, what was that actually like?
1: Yeah, what well, was that like collective experience really, or what was my experience versus the collective experience? I actually, I have a. Yeah. I just thought of this. I have like an assignment to give your listeners if you if you want me to give like. Yes. Uh, a little assignment yeah I'll give you like guys a ho- some homework so this was not a homework assignment that I gave my students actually right before the pandemic started and something that I've like played with myself and I like I said I, I mentioned like my own like journal my own diary and how helpful it's been so my journal my diary isn't just like writing it's also drawing so I keep like a comics diary because that's kind of like the space that I engage in. I also find that sometimes uh, the blank page can be really intimidating and you don't know what to put on it. But if you start by just with a square, you just put a square on the page. So you create like a panel and, all of a sudden you've created, your canvas has gone from like an entire blank page to just this little square. It's a lot easier to fill and it's a lot like more approachable for like a moment. So what the assignment was for my students was to keep um, a journal in which they draw. Like I was asking them to draw at least like a panel a day, but for everyone else, like, you know, I go for like an entire month without drawing sometimes in it and then I'll like, you know, reapproach it and draw like three times in a day, you know, a whole like for for weeks on end and then just giving yourself the flexibility to like let it go for a while but then um, not being afraid to open it back up. But the assignment is that when you do choose to write in this journal, um, you have to write down the date. That's like one of the requirements. Um, You have to have at least one panel on the page and that panel might encompass the entire page. Like that might just be like, you know, drawing a square around the entire page and then that is your panel that you fill. And yeah, either drawing or writing or both. And so the idea is that sometimes like an entirely blank canvas with just some writing in it, that also can be a drawing in a way because you're using mark making, you're putting down your thoughts, you're putting down your, your engagement with that, that space, that space on the page. But yeah. And then keeping that as like your, your creative time capsule of like what is now can be really nice, and and hopefully approaching it with the idea that this is for you and not for anyone else, and so it can be bad. The one other thing that I always tell my students, and then I also do for myself, and then they hate me, is that you can't use uh, an eraser. You that can't. There's no erasers allowed. So the idea that there is going to be imperfection just intrinsically in in the process of doing this mark making, doing this recording is is an important part to allow yourself to give credit to. Great. So I only use pens. I use this. I, I have uh, a Pilot Precise V5 rolling pen. <laughs> this, is, this is what I love. And I, I have a whole box of those. And that's what I've been using to fill the entire even when I'm filling like large black squares, <laughs> which is kind of time consuming, but maybe a little bit like um, meditative. Um, but I'm using that for like the entire thing. And it's it's been really fun. So yeah, that's, that's my assignment.
0: I love it. Is there anything that people should use if they wanted to share it? Like, should they tag you in it or send it if they wanted to share with you or with anyone else? Yeah. If, if, if they ever
1: wanted to like post anything. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, we could, we could figure out a hashtag, but if you just, if you just added me at Haley power studio, which is my, my Instagram, Mm -hmm. I would definitely like comment on it and say like wow so cool <laughs> you're so talented <laughs> which is usually how i respond to things <laughs> i want the validation <laughs> yeah I, I can't wait to give everyone validation <laughs> i can give you guys actually some scans that of, of this too if you wanted i don't know if you put stuff up yeah i no, yeah. love it yeah yeah we can might share be fun. it. yeah and we can include
0: links to anything that we've mentioned In the episode and uh usually with the or always with the episode we have a page on our website with images that we talk about so listeners can actually see what we're talking about but also where can listeners find your work online we now know instagram but your website anywhere else
1: yeah, so um, my name is Haley H-A-Y-L-E-Y, which a lot of people are like, oh, there's an extra Y in there. So uh, yeah, Haley Powers Studio. Um, that's my Instagram handle. And then my website is just Um Those are both like my professional facing things. And if you want to see more of like, my uh, more inner thoughts you can come hang out with me on twitter where i just kind of i don't know i post more i post more like pictures of like my animals there (laughs) and stuff which is kind of a funny thing i'm like yeah i use twitter for stuff that matters less but i think a lot of my students follow me on twitter (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is kind of a funny a funny dichotomy um that's that's heyk47 i've had that handle since like 2000 and Oh, I don't man. know, like seven or eight. So H-A-Y-K-4-7. Did that so. start as like an AIM
0: screen name or like early, early yeah,
1: email address? I, I was really into uh, Ice Cube <laughs> and like rap music in, in college. And so um, today was a good day. Didn't even have to use my AK. I was like, Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. So, like, I'm HK47, and I'm going to keep that handle, I guess, throughout. And I mean, I've thought about changing it so that it's like consistent with my professional-facing stuff, but I'm like, my Twitter is not professional. I like, I, I yell at like, I don't know, dumb people on it, and stuff. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is just who I am. So yeah, if you want to see you. that, that's there.
0: <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. Do we have any final thoughts
1: before we wrap up? I'm all good. I, I told your listeners what to do. So I'm like, yeah, I got to be bossy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you so much, Haley. This has been so fun. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having
1: me. It's just been really delightful to like talk to new people too. I I, I forget how nice it is to yeah, meet meet people. <laughs> don't get to do that very often
0: <laughs> anymore right. thank you so much for being on the show uh it was such a pleasure talking to you and i whenever there's an artist that i admire as a, a person and creator i always want to bring them on the show so i can figure out how they're doing what they're doing so thank you for allowing me to pick your brain
1: <laughs> yeah again thanks for having me and like i hope that i get to see y'all in person sometime soon
0: <laughs> as soon as in-person things can happen again we'll we'll have a Negroni
2: yeah
1: great wonderful
2: that's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast you can find show notes, references and a brief summary of the episode over at our website beyondthe.studio while you're there be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements and podcast giveaways
0: Um, now I have a i guess the siren stopped okay cool um i'm gonna give you a very brief introduction and that there it is (laughs) that can be my introduction (laughs) here comes (laughs) haley i'll just start with the ham horn
1: yeah